This morning, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. And I'm struggling a little bit today because I have a weakness as a speaker, as a preacher. um, And it is this. I love what it says and I have difficulty coming up with good ways for you to apply it. That's just, I love the technical stuff. I love to study it. And then when you ask the so what question, I, I, I stumble a little bit. So I always need help with that. And I say that today to tell you this. The passage today doesn't get to the so what. It is setting up for next week when we get to so what, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and admit that. Not that there's not good stuff in there, not that we won't be able to apply it. But I just want to go ahead and warn you that because I want you to think, well, yeah, what's your point? What's your point? Because if you don't understand exactly what God has done for us, you won't be able to apply it. That's what we're after today. Because I've said this in a different way, but let me say a a way today. That the heart of Christianity is not what we do for God. It's what God has already done for us. Now, I've told you this way, I've always said it. There's really only two religions in the world. Christianity and everything else. And that's just true. And here's one of the big reasons I can say that. Because everything else has a way for you to work your way to heaven. Uh, I went to the uh, Wednesday night Bible study this week. And uh, Brother Bobby Sims is in there teaching it. And bless his heart. I mean, he is not... Uh, I don't know, Bobby, you in here somewhere? Wave at me if you are. He was, he was at prayer this morning. So I know he, There you are. Buddy. You're not an ordained pastor, are you? No, okay. He's not an ordained minister at all. And he's tackling the book of Revelation. On Wednesday night, I'm an ordained pastor, and I, I would be saying, when are we going to do Revelation? Uh, second Tuesday of next week, I think. I'm just, uh, you know, I just, that's a tough book to go through. I'm just in, in awe that he would do that. It's awesome. But, but we're in there, and, and, we're, and we're studying this and, 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 and looking at it, and, and we, were on, uh, we were talking about the 144,000. And I got my ideas, and you know, everybody's got an idea of who that is. And I said, we got talking about what are the poor Jehovah Witnesses going to do? Because they used, they used to say, and still say, it's only 144,000 people go to heaven, and they're all Jehovah Witnesses. So when they got started, they didn't think they'd get that many before Jesus came back. Anytime, anytime somebody thinks they know when Jesus is coming back, God's just going to go, <laughs> watch this. Um, but... But, but so now they're way past 144,000. So now what they say is, well, the best 144,000 are going to get in. The rest go to some other, like, not as good. You know, it's sort of like going to Motel 8 instead of the Hilton. That's what's going to happen, I think. I'm not sure. Because they don't believe in eternity. You know, they believe in soul sleep for people that don't, don't believe in Jesus. You don't go to hell. You just go unconscious. So... <laughs> Then I'm going to live like the devil and have fun while I'm here because I'm just not going to know anything after I'm gone. That's just kind of foolish on the surface. Well, at least that's what I told my Jehovah Witness teacher in high school, who was my speech teacher, and we argued over that then. But anyway, so, so I hope I didn't get too far away from it. Every other religion is what do you do? Because that's why they at your door going, have a watchtower, want a watchtower? Please read the watchtower. They're trying to get into 144,000. Why do you think Mormons put on a white shirt and a tie and ride a bicycle in the heat of summer? Trying to earn their way into heaven. Now listen, you ought not be mean to those people. You ought to have pity on those people. Because the gospel has been hidden to them by the God of this world. Okay, anybody in a false belief system, you've got to understand they have been lied to and fooled by the enemy. Because Christians, we don't say close your mind, we say open your mind. Look at all the evidence, look at the truth. Christianity is not, faith is not just a belief in what you don't understand, it is a trust in what you do understand. I didn't say you understood at all, but it, it's not just, well, I don't know, okay, I'll pick that one, let's go that way. You know, it's like door number one, two, or three, uh, I'll take that door. No, that's not what it is. It's understanding because God came to reveal himself to us so we could understand that he loved us so much he put on an earth suit, a body. He started living among us to show us the glory of the Father, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for my sin, was buried, rose again bodily, and is fixing to come back. 
That makes Christianity different than everything else. The fact that our founder ain't dead and ain't going to get dead. He's alive forevermore. I'm struggling not to go into Gullah. I'm wanting to do a lot of Gullah right there. That's a language I grew up with. But anyway, God, is, God has done that for us because I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't be good enough to get there. And so Christianity is different than everything else because Jesus did it for us. Now, what we're seeing here in Ephesians 4 is not only did he do that for us, but what else did he do for us as a church? And the fact is, he has given us tools in the church to accomplish his will. And so I'm calling today's sermon, I don't have these dramatic titles, but go ahead, click. Click, there it is. Is tools for the church, okay? And here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit is a gift from Jesus Christ to his church, and he bears Christ's gifts to us. He brings us Christ's gifts. The Holy Spirit is God of very God. Don't ever refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Well, the Holy Spirit, it, no, no, no. He is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God of very God, equal in power and essence with God the Father and God the Son. But he has allowed himself to be used by Jesus to come and fill the individual members of the church and to fill the church that we might understand the will of God. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 will work in our life, which says, Beloved, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind as the Holy Spirit that does that, that you might prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. Somebody say amen, because I just quoted the Bible. Okay, good. Thank you. I mean, you can amen the Bible. I don't care if you amen me, but please say yes to the Bible. Amen to that. So the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus said, when I send him, he won't talk about himself. He'll speak of me. He will teach you. He'll remind you everything I taught. He will teach you in these ways. So the Holy Spirit comes to reveal Jesus to us. That's why I get a little nervous when people start talking about having a Holy Ghost revival. Well, if you have a Holy Ghost revival, nobody will ever mention him. Because the Holy Ghost only came to talk about Jesus. He didn't come to talk about himself. Say, so, well, we need another Pentecost. Why? Did the first one not work? Of course it worked. It's still active. It's still working. Holy Spirit is still with us, right? So his Holy Spirit brings us gifts. And I want you to see what those gifts are today. And next week we'll see what they're for. And that's why I said there's a little bit of lack of application today, but I think we'll get there anyway. But I want you to at least understand that concept. The Holy Spirit came to you because it's going to play into your life very seriously. And we'll start today doing that. I do have a good application. The Holy Spirit came to you at salvation, by the way, and gave you a gift from Christ. And some of y'all have never opened that gift. Some of you put it on the shelf in the garage and you have never taken it down and opened it. Or it's in the back of a closet. And you've never opened the gift God gave you to use in the church. And so today I want you to understand that God did do that. God gave you a gift that you could know Him, but He does that to the person of the Holy Spirit. So it isn't a sermon about the Holy Spirit, but, but you've got to understand that. So, if you'll stand with me. I know you just sat down gave you a little break. I tell you what, man, you can't preach after that singing today. There ain't no preaching you, so... Especially that Revelation song, man. God is awesome, God. Here's verse 7. Beginning in verse 7. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's a summation statement. Next two verses, he expands on that. Verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, I've got to stop in the middle of the paragraph, because I don't know if I'll get to all of that today, all right? Uh, So let's stop and pray. Father God, we again thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the glory of God. And we ask that this day, our lives might glorify you. Our lives might shine uh, the glory that you've put in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You be seated. I I do want to just really quickly repeat something. I said that the Holy Spirit comes to you at salvation. And because there is a doctrine among 
some Christians who believe you get saved and later you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's heretical. In Romans 8, it says that, that if you do not have the Spirit of God, you're lost. That's Romans 8, uh, 11. It says that if the Spirit that raised you from the dead does not dwell in you, you're lost. And so you don't get baptized in the Spirit after salvation. You're baptized in the Spirit at salvation. And if you didn't get baptized in the Spirit, you are lost, okay? Now, if you want to talk about the different gifts He gives us, that's a whole other discussion. I will touch on it today, but I promise you I'm not going to get deep into that because in the essence of this today, it's really not that relevant to get into the detail. We can do that later. But first of all, I want you to understand that He gives perfect gifts to everyone. That's the first thing I want you to get down. He gives perfect gifts to everyone. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to say three basic things under this. This is all in verse 7. First of all, we see the word grace in verse 7. Now, we don't see the word grace. Well, actually, we do. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. John MacArthur said this, that grace is a single word explanation of the gospel. That grace is a single word explanation of the gospel because you know the definition of grace. It is getting what you do not deserve. Right? Y'all with me? What did you deserve? Hell. What did you get? Okay, now that's in its simplest form. Because grace goes way beyond that. But you've got to start there. Grace was given to you that you could be saved. Because apart from the grace of God, you're hopelessly lost. You, all, the Bible says all your righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. There's nothing you can do in your flesh that pleases God. And so God had to come live in your life so you could do stuff that pleases Him. Everything good's ever been done in human history has been done by the grace of God. So therefore, and I know the Baptist acronym for grace. We got, for many years, people said grace is um, God's riches at Christ's expense. Anybody ever hear that? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's true. But that's not all. <laughs> and that's not all. Order today. No. That was a funny statement that went through my head there. God's riches at Christ's expense is true. God gave me heaven. In fact, this verse says that. that I got a gift according to the measure of, of Christ's riches. That's, that's, how, that's how it got paid for. But grace is more than that. Grace is also God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. Let me say that again. It is God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. Grace comes to save us, but grace does not end with that. It is God, grace is God giving himself to us. And I want you to think about that for a minute. God gave himself to us in creation. Number one, he created the universe. He created this earth. He created Adam and Eve. And you say, yeah, and then, you know, he set it in motion and men have just done what men do the birds and the bees, and we've propagated ourselves. Except in Psalm 139, it says that God formed us in the womb of our mothers. And the word there is the same word as creation in Genesis 1. God is actively involved in the creation of every individual person. And every individual Christian is given specific gifts to be used. I'm going to keep saying that to you, believe me, and hear this today, okay? That it's going to come together and be very important later. So he created us, but then when man sinned against him and cursed him and just, you know, very first thing out of the chute, we disobeyed him, then he redeemed us. Wow. We've already covered that. You deserved hell, you got heaven. You got what you did not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Not going to hell is mercy. Going to heaven is grace. Follow me? Okay. Thirdly, then he sanctifies you. He makes you holy. And that's the other part of grace. God's righteousness and Christ enabling. See, a lot of Christians think, oh, well, I walk an aisle, I say a prayer, or write it on a card, sit on the front row. I heard a preacher say one time, people come down front, we have them fill out a card, we hand it to them, say, have a seat, and they think that's the Great Commission. Because we never go beyond that. We think we're saved and then, okay, that's it. No. Man, you just got born. You got some living to do now. 
It's time to grow. It's, it's time to become more and more like Jesus. That's what the Bible, how it describes it in Corinthians. That we are changed from glory to glory. In Romans and in Corinthians, Paul talks about that, that we are looking in glass darkly, but one day we'll see him face to face. And that we're being changed from glory into glory as we gaze upon Jesus. James says that. Looking into the perfect law of liberty and not being a forgetful hearer. Looks in a mirror and goes his way. My, I don't know what my hair looks like right now. I got my hair cut yesterday. I said, you know, cut it short, it's summer. And today I couldn't comb it and it wouldn't do what I wanted to do. So it may look crazy right now. I don't know, it may look fine, depending on... And honestly, I don't care. But <laughs> my wife's going, your hair's not right today. I went, so? But, you know, that's just me. Um, no, I don't talk like that to her. Well, actually, we did have a little fight. But anyway, um, <laughs> hey, we just like y'all. We fuss all the way to the door before we start smiling. The grace of God sanctifies us, makes us more and more like Jesus. But it does more than that. It's going to glorify me. I'm not glorified yet. I'm still fighting over my hair. I'm not even very sanctified when I'm fighting over my hair, right? But when I die, oh man, Pastor Mike, all of a sudden I want to hear you singing that song. When I die, give me Jesus. There's a whole song about that, right? Just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And when I die, give me Jesus. Because the grace of God is going to take me to heaven and make me something that I never, did not enter my mind what God could do. That's what the Bible promises us. It has not yet entered into the minds of them what God has planned for his people. Man, we are living in the shadow lands. We can't even see where we're headed. Except in glimpses as God reveals himself to us. So God gave me grace to create me, to redeem me, to sanctify me, and eventually to glorify me. In other words, I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved. See, I'm being saved today. I was saved when I was eight. I'm being saved today, and I will be saved when Jesus either comes back for me or for all of us. Because all of it, he's coming back for you in your lifetime. And it may be an individual, or it may be all of us at once, but he's coming back for you before you die, I promise you that. And so, I, I, grace is not charismata here, the word he uses. Charismata is the gifting of God. It is the word just charis. It is the enabling power. That's why I went off on that. You know, the charismatic, we, we say that people are in the charismatic movement. They're going to heaven if they don't run past. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm a little more excited. But that's not the word. The word here is that root word, but it's, it stops at just grace. It is not the gifting of grace. It is just grace. It is the power of grace in our life to become like Jesus. You with me? Notice the word but there in that verse. But. Why would you put but there? It's sort of like, therefore. That's a word you need to go. It's more than just connecting to what came before. It's connecting in a, in a specific way. In fact, this word is used in a very specific way. It is a contrast to what came before it. Because what just happened is he talked about how we're all one body and one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And as a unit, as a group, we function as one. And then he says, but, but to each one of us, grace is given. You see, only the, when we work in unity, it is not unison. My musicians get that. Unison means everybody sings the same note. The choir today was in unity, but they were not in unison. They each were singing a different note, but it sounded really good together. By the way, don't you love our live musicians? I was better than dead musicians, I know. But I mean, our live... Amen. Thank God, man. Listen, I'd rather hear them play and hear some track. That was awesome. It was just good stuff. Anyway, that's just compliment. I don't have anything else to say about that. <laughs> but is a unity, not a uniformity. And it is the mark of true Christianity that we're all different, yet we all function together. Because think about your body. I mean, this, out of one cell, you got hair and eyes and parts of the eyes and parts of the hair and skin and nose and all your innards and all your muscles and everything you got all came out of one cell. And God said, 
Hmm, we're going to make that this, we're going to make that this, we're going to make that this. Remember when God called Moses? And Moses said, I don't talk too good. He stuttered, he had speech impediment, couldn't speak well. And God said, am I not God? Did I not make the tongue? I made you that way. So when you stand before Pharaoh, you won't say, now listen to this speech. You will depend on my power to get done what I've called you to do. And we can't forget that, that God makes us the way he wants us to be for his glory. So that we can glorify him. And, but he says here to each one of you, individual, in, Te- in Thessalonians, Paul says, I ministered to each one of you like a parent to a child, like a father to each child. I didn't call my kids together in a group and go, now listen, and talk to all three of them about what my son had done. I talked to my son about what he needed to hear. I talked about each daughter about what they needed to hear. Right? Do y'all just have group family meetings where you fuss at everybody about what one kid did? Or No. You take care of the one. And that's how God deals with us. He takes care. Now, we got that in spades, and that's why I'm always emphasizing about the church. But you've got to understand the Bible here, only God can balance that out. Only he can make my body. So all these different parts that have different functions work together for the health and life of my body. Okay. At least you're getting that. Because when one part of you doesn't work, the body suffers. So when you at Calvary do not do what God sent you here to do, the body hurts. It is not as healthy as it ought to be. It is not as effective as it ought to be. It cannot accomplish everything God intended it for it to accomplish. Because you decide to pull up and go, no, I'm not going to cooperate today. If one part of my body just decided not to to cooperate, I'd be kind of crippled, messed up, troubled. Because I need all of me. And God needs all of us. Now, does God need us? No. But does God need us? Yes. He don't need you. He can make 10,000 of you in a breath. He could just say, make a million of them, boom, and there you'd be. But he chose not to do it that way. He chose to put this grace in earthen vessels, Paul says. In Paul, that the power, the glory of God, he's put in earthen vessels. That's clay pots. And by the way, they're cracked pots. Because the light can't shine out unless there is a crack there that's a good sermon I may not ever get to preach it here but that's a good sermon right there it is that what you think of as the defect is the crack through which God can shine what you think of as a hindrance is God opening up your life to shine out his glory and so God took a man like Paul who would never ever get over the fact that he used to kill Christians And used them to write 13 books of the New Testament. And so in the end of his life, Paul said, here's a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Just before he went and was martyred for Christ. Paul never forgot. And so don't worry about the defect. It's what drives you to the cross. It's what drives you to the foot of God. And says, God, I thank you. I don't have to be perfect. I just got to be who you made me to be. That's not an excuse to sin. Don't go out here going, that's just the way I am. I'm just the gossip. No. I just have a hateful personality. I just hate everybody. That's just how God made me. No, God redeemed you from the sin. But he gave you a personality that could glorify him to use for him. Okay? You with me there? And then notice the measured gift. This may be a one-verse sermon today. Measured gift. And listen, it's measured. Notice what it's measured by in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's what is necessary for the operation of the body. The measurement is how much do you need? I mean, I like to cook a little bit and bake. And I was telling somebody the other day about how to make grits. They said, how do you make grits? You know, they, they had never made them. And they wanted to try them. God bless them. Thank God. Grits is... Number one, grits is South Carolina ice cream. Y'all know that. And it's manna. 
Because Psalm 76 says, God fed them the grain of heaven. He gave them of the corn of heaven. He fed, fed a man in the wilderness. He fed them the corn of heaven. And grits was ground corn. And it was white. It was starchy. And when the, they saw it, the word manna is Hebrew for what is it? They went, what is that? And I have not yet, a Yankee yet, didn't go, what is that? See, grits is manna. I'm just kidding, y'all. Please don't get mad at me. And she said, how much, do you, how much do you put in? And I said, oh, no, you put the grits in the pot. And then you fill it up that deep with water. You stick your finger in, touch the top of the grits. I don't know how much it is. Unless you do it in the crock pot, then you put almost your whole finger of water on top of it and cook it all night with a stick of butter. And oh, my goodness, that's good. And if you want it real be good, only do half of that water and put the rest heavy cream. Oh, that's awesome. And you throw some shrimp in there, and what we got is heaven on earth, okay? God measured out to us the gifts we need for the recipe to make Calvary Baptist Church. You getting the concept? Okay, y'all thought I was just joking around about grit, so I was trying to get you to understand. It is a sovereign design by the head of the church to make the body exactly what he wants it to look like. That's why there's so many different kinds of churches. Because God is accomplishing different things in different places with different people. And they're not our enemies. We're all on the same team. My son played football. He was 175, 80 pounds in high school. He's a little bit taller than me. He's about six foot, six one. And he played defensive end and offensive tackle. At 180 pounds, okay? The guy, some of the guys are giggling because they get it. That's too little. He was long and lanky, had great eye-hand coordination, was fast. And after his senior year, I looked at the coach and said, I don't know why Ian wasn't a tight end, why he wasn't a receiver. He said, I tried to make him one. He said, I had him running passes. And every time he caught the ball, he'd look over at the lineman and he'd flip me the ball. And he'd run another pattern, he'd catch it and he'd bring it back. He said, after about three times, he said, coach, the line doesn't know what they do and they need me. He went over there and started working as a lineman, and that's all, and that's all he ever played, because that's what he loved, and he was not built to be a lineman, but that's what he played, because that's what he loved. I want you to understand something. God made you to play a certain place on the team, to be in a certain position, and he gives you, he designs you the way you need to be. My son should have played a different position on the team, but he was, in a sense, out of place. Now, he played that position good enough. I, I, I won't brag. Let me just say, I've seen him knock 300 people, pound people down, but, but he was unique. He was made and designed a certain way, and each one of us is designed a certain way. And we don't get a chance to tell the coach, I don't want to play that position. You see, for the Christian, there's only two options. It's not to say, hey, coach, I'd rather do that. It's either do what he said or be in disobedience, to be in rebellion against God. Tithing's not an option, it's a matter of obedience. If you're not tithing, it's not that you're not doing what you ought to do. You are in rebellious disobedience against God. And no need for us to play games with that. If you're not fulfilling the role God created you to fulfill in the church, it's not just because you don't have time, it's because you're in rebellious disagreement against a holy God. And we've got to look at that that way, because if you don't, you'll keep doing your own thing until one day you'll stand before God. And he may say, I was hungry and you never fed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was in prison and you never visited me. And the goats on his left will say, when were you in prison? We didn't visit you. When did you, were you hungry? We didn't give you anything. When were you? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brother, and you did it unto me. See, the job of the church is not to come into this auditorium on Sundays. The job of the church is to take the gospel into the community. And if we're not doing that, we are in rebellious disagreement with God. In Romans 12, 5, let me read that to you. I quoted 1 and 2, but I'm going to have to turn over to Romans 12, 5. Oops. They moved it in my Bible. I can't find it. There it is. Romans 12, 5 says this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
So since we're each unique, we are interdependent on each other. We, we are not interchangeable. We are not interchangeable. If you're missing, I can't replace you. Because only you can do what you do the way you do it. Now, we might get somebody else to do the same job, but they won't do it the way you did it. Or should do it. And so, we need you. God gave you a gift. And as I said, you just put it on the shelf. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because the person who gave it to you might be here. But many times you get a gift and you go, thank you. And you put it on the shelf and can't wait until somebody else has a need. Or a party or a wedding or a birthday and you give it to them. And they do the same. Oh, thank you. And put it on the shelf until they can give it away. How many gifts has God given you? You've just given away. Oh, I don't like that gift. I'm not going to exercise that. I don't like that preacher. I'm not going to do what God called me to do in the church. I don't like the way the music program is, so I'm not going to sing. When we stand up and sing, I'm just going to be quiet. You're not singing to the music pastor. You're singing to God. Well, they won't let me teach the class I want to teach, so I'm not going to teach at all. You rebellious person. Right? I, I, listen, this isn't rocket science. We just kind of, you know, nice preachers don't say things, but I'm not a nice preacher. Um, <laughs> because this gets to my heart. I don't like to be called reverend. Only God is reverend. But when you call me pastor, it lets me know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I like that title because that's the title God gave me. I want you to see in, in the next verses, we, we got a little bit of time, don't, don't sweat it. The second thing is the, Jesus gave the perfect purchase price for the gifts he wants to give the church. He is the perfect purchase price. He is the price that was paid. And, and here Paul quotes out of Psalm 68, 18. And Psalm 68, 18, without looking at it, is a psalm of victory written by David. And it was written after he conquered the Jebusite city and returned in triumph with the Ark of the Covenant. And as he ascended the Mount Zion, he's coming up with the ark, and it is a victory march and a victory psalm. And so here when Paul says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. He's talking, it's, he's quoting Psalm 68, but David is the great, super great grandfather of Jesus, right? Right? Yeah, he is the, the head of that clan, that family that would give us the Messiah. Jesus sits on David's throne. You say, oh, I, that, I don't like that. It sounds blasphemous. I didn't say that. God said that. And he made that an eternal throne. How did he make it eternal? Because David died and his son Solomon took over. Then Solomon died and his son took over. And the kings kept conking out until Jesus. And when Jesus came, he died, but he got back up three days later and ain't have time to get a new king. And he goes, ah, that's mine forever. Because I'm not going to die again. And he took the throne and he made it an eternal throne, right? Well, Psalm 68, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. It's a, it's a song of ascent. And here's something you've got to understand. Number one, God was present in that parade as evidence, as, as symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant. He had conquered this city. He is ascending with the ark up. And there's two things that he would do. First of all, he'd show the spoils of war. He would bring back all the riches that they got, where, whatever they conquered. They just ransacked the city, got all the stuff. And they brought back and said, look at all this stuff we got. We're going to melt it down. We're going to do this. We're going to use it there, whatever. But this is all the money and all the goods. And they would give it to the people as they marched back in. Here's something for you, here's something for you, here's something for you. As the soldiers had won the battle, they gave away the stuff they got. Because they had so much, they could keep some of it. And they kept more than they gave away, but they gave away. Right? You follow me? And they showed off the prisoners. Because they had prisoners. So they would show off, look at what we got, all this good money stuff. And they'd say, look at these people we caught. And they, they would put them in a prison. But there was somebody else in the train. It was the guys that had been captured. Their soldiers that were prisoners of war. And they set them free. And they called them recaptured captives. 
Okay, you need me to explain that. God made you. And our enemy came and stole you. He brought sin into human existence. And we sinned. And we were fallen. And we did horrible things. And we rebelled against God. And we were held captive by Satan to do his will. Until King Jesus came. And King Jesus went to a cross and he defeated Satan, he defeated sin, and he defeated death. And he led captivity captive. He came and he set us free and he recaptured us never to be lost again. Amen. Paul goes on to explain a little bit, in just case you think I'm too far off. He freed the captives. Notice what it says, verse uh, 9. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But they also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Let me explain it real quickly. Because there's, people ask this question a lot, so let me just quickly say something. Let me get to the last little point. And it's this. Jesus coming, his crucifixion and resurrection set us free. But then Jesus gave gifts. He got back to heaven and he gave gifts to men. The Bible says in Acts 2.33 that Jesus, having done the will of the Father, received from him the promised Holy Spirit and he poured the Holy Spirit out on the church. So Jesus received the, the, the glory of heaven and poured the glory of heaven out on us and the church. So he gave us gifts. He recaptured us. He made us great. But Here's the, here's the bonus thing. Jesus descended means he emptied himself of deity. He didn't come down as God. He didn't float down out of heaven and say, I'm God, you got to listen to me. He didn't arrive on a rocket ship like Superman. He was just born to a virgin girl in Bethlehem. But then he showed us the Father and he showed us who God is. And he became one of us. He descended down to our level to show us God. And people ask this question a lot. I've always heard that Jesus went to hell after the cross. Well, in a sense, yes. Let me just say it very fast. In the Old Testament, the place of the dead is called Sheol. In the New Testament, Jesus tells a true story of a rich man who died and a poor man who died. The poor man's named Lazarus. And they go to the place of the dead. And on one side is Abraham's bosom. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And on the other side is a place called hell. After Jesus comes back, people don't go to hell, they go to the lake of fire after the millennium, right? Hell will be emptied and thrown into the lake of fire, but hell has fire in it too. It's the place of the dead where the lost are. And the rich man being in hell lifted up his eyes and looked and said, hey, there's Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he says, send him to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue for I'm tormenting his flame. He said, nope, sorry, there's a great gulf between us. And people that go there can't come over here and people come here can't go over there. And that's the point I want you to make, but I can't tell the story without pointing something out. He said, then send him back to my brothers because they need to not come here. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, which is the Old Testament. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, no, no, no. They won't believe unless somebody rises from the dead to tell them. And Abraham said, if they won't believe the word of God, they will not believe if one rises from the dead. My liberal friend, if you don't believe the word, you ain't liberal, you lost. Because if you won't hear Moses and the prophets, you won't believe if one rises from the dead. And he did. But back to the point of the story. There's two areas, and there's a great gulf fixed between the two. And then Jesus is on a cross dying, and the thief looks at him and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not heaven, paradise. The place of the dead, the good place, where the captives are held. All the Old Testament saints that trusted that God would one day take care of their sin are waiting in paradise until Jesus pays the price so they can go to heaven. And Jesus, after he died, went to the place of the dead, preached to the captives in captivity, and let captivity captive 
into heaven. And now when I die, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I hope that made sense. We complicate it. It's that simple. Jesus didn't go to hell. He went to the place of the dead. And everybody in hell is looking over there and going, why didn't I just believe? Y'all know that right now Darwin is convinced he was wrong? After you're dead, you get the point. But it's too late. And so, in Luke, uh, so that's the explanation. Here's the, here's the last thing I want you to get. I, I just, I, I, that was your bonus on that point. That wasn't in that text. That was just bonus to explain it. But then look at the, and by the way, look at the last phrase in verse 10. In Ephesians 4.10, the last phrase, that he might fill all things. Because here's what I want you to understand. To be a Christian, I already told you, the heart of Christianity is what God did for you, not what you do for him. And Paul, the, the oldest book in the New Testament is the book of Galatians. First book ever written in the New Testament, book of Galatians. Paul wrote that because there was a bunch of people running around saying you've got to do certain things before you can be saved. In other words, a Gentile can't be a Christian until he becomes a Jew, and then you can become a Christian. And Paul said, uh-uh, that's not how this works. So he wrote the book of Galatians because the Galatians got caught up in that controversy, and they th- were beginning to think, oh, I've got to be circumcised. I've got to keep the dietary laws. I've got to observe all the holy days of the Jewish people. And Paul's going, no, you don't. And here's the verse he puts in Galatians. Who has bewitched you, Galatians, who, who, having started in faith, think that you're going to complete this in works? But I run into Baptists that way today. I'll just pick on Baptists. If you're another denomination, it's true about y'all too. See, I almost became a legalist. I've, I've already picked on the charismatics today. Let me pick on the legalist. I thought I had to wear certain clothes, listen to certain music, cut my hair a certain way. Legalists make a list of rules that they hope they can keep so that they can feel good about their relationship with God. Oh, I must be saved because I did this just right. There's two problems with that. Number one, it was your list, not God's, because God doesn't give you a list like that. Now, there are things in the Bible you shouldn't do. We always say, you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't do all those things. We get that. But we have this secondary list, you know. It's so funny, people that don't like tattoos, but they eat shrimp. Same, same part of the Bible, same power. I don't like that kind of music. But you come in here wearing a wool blend suit. When the Bible says don't wear a garment made of two different fabrics. And all of you people that shave, y'all are lost. <laughs> well, all the men. <laughs> I will not go any further with that. <laughs> Though I want to, I won't. <laughs> Actually, at my dad's coffin, I'm standing there with my sister and my little girl who was four, three or four, 94. So she was about four or five. And this lady who was old when I was a child was standing there. She was really, really up in years. And she had the problem that that happens, you know, and we don't want to be indelicate. Except my little five-year-old, having a pure heart, not knowing any bear, looks up and said, Why do you have a beard? <laughs> And the lady couldn't hear and said, what would you say, honey? And my sister knew, well, it's over because we're just kind of playing. She said, she wants to know why you got a beard, Miss Songer. And she looked down and said, because I didn't shave today, honey. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Songer. Appreciate that. I'm over there going, oh, no. Because the Bible says men shouldn't cut the hair on their face and they shouldn't even trim the corners. Let it just grow. That's in the same section that people want to bring other things out and tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Sitting there all clean shaven and whatnot, wearing pants. How dare you wear pants, men? They wore robes. And why don't you ride a mule to church and, or a donkey instead of coming in that car? Because they didn't have cars back then either. See my point? So we make a list. And here's the other problem. It was your list. And number two, you can't keep your list. You can't do what you want to do. Paul said, everything I want to do, I don't do. Everything I don't want to do, I do. Woe is me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? But thanks be to God who gave us the victory in Christ Jesus. He filled all 
things. He accomplished all righteousness. So I don't come to him with the righteousness of my own. I come to him with his righteousness. When I pray, I don't say, hey, God, here's Stuart, and I'm doing really good. I come and say, in the name of Jesus, Father, I come. Because I don't have enough holiness in me to approach that holy throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. And when you approach that throne, you better come with the righteousness of Jesus. Because no other righteousness will be good enough. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter heaven. Well, man, they kept all the rules publicly. What was Jesus saying? That we got to keep the rules better than them? No, that you got to throw away the rules and let him keep the rules for you. Please understand, keep that in balance. I know there are rules we got to keep, but you, you get my point. People are just in their Christian life. Well, I'm saved by faith, but boy, if I don't do this just right, God's going to be mad at me. No, he was mad at Jesus for you. And you ought to realize that and come to him in humble contrition and say, God, I'm sorry, but I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your power. I need you to make me look like Jesus. I need you to sanctify me, make me more like him because I want to turn away from my sin. And I turn to you and there on the cross, Jesus paid the price to win for me the gift of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in my life. Amen. 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 That's the only way we can handle it, guys. Because we can't do what we ought to do in our own strength. We can't make it there. And don't beat yourself up. Run to Jesus who will help you. Here are the four gifts that he gave. And like I said, I'm not even going to try to apply this. We don't have time, number one. Number two, we'll do that next week. But I just want you to see it real quick. First, he said he gave apostles to the church. Now, apostles are the sent ones. They are sent on a mission is the technical thing. There are only 12, well, there are more than 12 apostles, but they were just the original guys. We lost Judas, we got Matt, uh, Matthias, and then we also got Paul. Those were the apostles, there are no more. If you're from an apostolic church, you're wrong, sorry. There are no apostles today in that way. However, there are missionaries who are sent to do a job. And in that sense, we still have apostles, and the Bible used the word apostles in that way. It talks about other men who were sent on a mission to do what they were supposed to do. Then there are prophets. Now, there's, prophets still exist. They tell forth the gospel. It's not fortune. Now, it's not telling the future, even though there is prophecy in the Bible that way. But God's not giving us new revelation today. But what he is doing is applying that revelation to people, and that's what... The modern gift of prophecy does. The modern gift of apostles is like a missionary. The modern uh, uh, embodiment of a prophet is somebody who tells forth the truth of God. An evangelist is somebody that proclaims the good news. And that word, the way it's used here, is only used here. And in Acts, uh, when, when uh, Philip was uh, witnessing to the eunuch. And in 2 Timothy, when Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say he was an evangelist, he said do the work of one. In other words, tell people about Jesus. That's what an evangelist does. And then the fourth gift he gave is pastor-teacher. Some people break that out. Pastor is the title. Teacher is the job. Okay? And, and we can get into all the words. We'll come back next week, recover that, and talk about the application of that. But here's some things you can do this week on what we have said already. First of all, you need to accept by grace the gift of God. Accept by faith the gift of grace, is what I meant to say. Accept by faith the gift of grace. God, it's a gift. And unwrap it, okay? But just accept by faith. If you have been struggling and fighting, and relax, let go, and watch God be God. Just say, God, I don't get it, but I can't do it. So I just want to receive your grace. And let God do something in your life. Secondly... Since Jesus accomplished everything on your behalf, rest in his completed work. Quit struggling. Quit struggling. So aren't we supposed to struggle striving against sin? Absolutely. Striving against sin. Yeah. Put to death, therefore, Colossians 3, 5, the things that remain on this earth. But it's not in your power. Jesus has already accomplished the victory. Take it there. Let Jesus help you do that. And rest that even when you mess up, he's still faithful because he cannot deny himself. And he's already done the work for you. And number three, thank the pastor because he gave pastors to the church. Thank the pastor that influenced you to become a Christ follower. 
I got that opportunity to thank the man that was preaching when I got saved. He was an evangelist. And I don't think I ever thanked my pastor from when I was a child and his faithfulness in the pulpit and, and what he did. I got to thank the pastors after that, I, I, but I didn't get to thank him. And so I'm new here, so I'm saying this because I know none of you, that's not true of any of you with me. It's somebody else because I don't know y'all that well. Okay? So I want to encourage you to find that pastor that meant that much to you, that he set you on that path to follow Christ. And just go thank them. The Bible says pastors worthy of double honor. The Bible says to obey your pastors because they give an account to the Lord. And just help them to do the work they're supposed to do. Okay? So I just thought it'd be nice if there's a guy somewhere in America. Because let me just tell you, as a pastor, I know this. You work and you work and you work. And the job's never finished because there's still lost people. There's still needy people. There's still saved people need to look more like Jesus. And when you come along and say, and many of y'all have done this for me already, but you come along and you say, thank you. And when you let that guy know, I'm a Christ follower today because of your faithfulness back when I was a little boy or back years ago when my wife and I were struggling or back when I was a single guy, I lost out in sin and I came to church and I heard the gospel and you preached it faithfully and you lived it out and it changed my life. We don't do it for that. I promise you we don't do it for that. Because we don't know, only God knows. And anything good that God does through any of us, He did it, not us. But it'll be nice for that guy if you just appreciate that a little bit, okay? I'm smiling because I want you to understand this isn't about me. This is about somebody else in your life that helped influence you for God. And it, it, it might be Pastor Mike, it might be Pastor Bobby, it might be a pastor somewhere else in the world. Or Pastor Kareem, it might be a pa- former pastor here. In fact, it might be a pastor that's not a pastor anymore. And he may not be able to forgive himself. And if you can go to him and say, I know things didn't go good for you, but I just want you to know because of you, I'm following Christ today. That might be a conviction as well as a blessing.